so I had an idea for a Star Trek uh, TV show that I, I would like to pitch to you oh, yeah? and maybe one day to pitch to the the Paramount people. <laughs> yeah, so I was thinking about I was just thinking about how, you know, episodically most of the Star Trek shows that they, 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 they kind of they you they have a problem and then it's always rectified. And then I was just thinking about all the other ships where that where they probably have these problems and then they're not rectified by the end of them. Okay. And so I was like, we should have there should be a Star Trek show called Star Trek Consequence and it follows a ship called the USS Consequence because that's like a that's a good name sure, for it. Sure, yeah, that um, but it's a ship where like that this stuff happens but then it doesn't go back to the status quo like so every oh, so every episode like then affects like every episode after that kind yeah, of have yeah, the cumulative so like, effects of like oh well one of our crew members is like a salamander now Right, exactly. So that's what I say. Is I wrote down a couple of things. So like, let's just like say say that like Tom Paris and Captain Picard and O'Brien are all on the the ship. Like you know, uh, and so when Captain Picard becomes a kid, that he just is a kid, and like so then, like for the rest of the the rest of the show, there's just a kid captain, and then and then like when Tom Paris turns into a slug, now there's a slug who is their helmsman, you know, and then and like O'Brien. Now he just has like this this like adult feral child <laughs> who lives with him now like after <laughs> after the Molly incident and I, I I was kind of thinking about this for a while and I was like I think actually that I just kind of pitched a I, I pitched a, a show that should be called Star Trek of the Farm after the yeah I was about to say I, I feel like it is kind of the the same principle as what they did with the farm is like these are all the people that didn't go back to normal. Yeah, but I would I would totally watch Star Trek: The Farm though. That actually sounds like a pretty fun uh, TV program. Yeah. What about things that happen to like the ship itself though? I mean, obviously you can't destroy the ship, but would you have like like the you know like the universal translator doesn't work anymore, so like half the crew is just randomly speaking Spanish the whole yeah. time? Yeah. Yeah, or like maybe like they run into Q and Q turns them into a Christmas ornament, and so like now they're just like small <laughs> yeah. for for a while. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Like that, I understand why you couldn't do that outside of maybe a cartoon, but it does sound compelling to me. Uh, <laughs> it would be a fun, I mean, especially like you know, I, I don't know how long terms like how many episodes you could sustain it for, but it would be a fun little like mini series. I feel like to. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's my pitch. Star Trek, either Star Trek: The Farm or or Star Trek: <laughs> Consequence. <laughs> Hi everybody, and welcome to Out of Contracts, the show where two friends who have seen part of Star Trek try to watch all of it in no particular order. I'm Ryan Howard, and I'm Brady Jungle. And today we're talking about Phage, which is uh, Star Trek Voyager uh, season one, episode five, officially. Uh, if you're on your viewer on your on your uh, your streamer, it might show up as episode four because the pilot of uh, Discovery or sorry, Pirate of Voyager is a two part um, episode. So yeah, uh, depending on the numbering, but we watched Phage. It's called Phage. This is the one we watched. <laughs> Unlike at least one other time where we definitely both watched different episodes of, of Voyager. Yes, yes. I forget. And we did. We did. We did. We spoke for probably. Uh, 10 or 15 minutes At least, before. Yeah. Uh, part of that was the cold open, but yeah, you know. we may have um, to release that. I don't know if we still have that footage. But I, I, I don't know if I have it around. <laughs> that, that moment of realization. Well, but it, it was easy because like we, I think we spent most of the 
first 10 minutes just talking about like how much Tom Paris sucked, which like there was no way to, there was no way to know which episode we were talking about. Yeah, yeah. This episode is directed by Winrich Colby. Uh, I don't think we've heard that name previous, I believe. Uh, the And then uh, written by Sky Dent, Brandon Braga, and a uh, story by Timothy DeHaas. The, the uh, memory office synopsis is, Neelix's lungs are removed by a race that suffers from a deadly plague that is slowly destroying their population, prompting them to harvest replacement organs and tissues from other species. This is a very early, I mean, obviously, as I said, it's like only the fourth or fifth episode of Voyager, so it's very early. It yeah. feels very early. It feels very, like, kind of still feeling out some of the characters. Obviously, yeah, kind of everyone's really with establishing their place in the, in the crew. Yeah, this this episode ends with um, with Kess kind of getting the job that she ends up having on the show uh, uh, as as nurse and yeah yes because again I, and I didn't mean to sort of foreshadow this but a sort of underlying plot point of this episode is how worthless Tom Paris is as the he had somehow gotten recruited to be the like nurse in sick bay yeah and he's just incredibly useless at it. Um, it. It really does beg the question of why is Tom Paris on the show? Because the this is only the f- fifth episode of the show, and it already appears that like there are other characters who hate him and think he's useless. I don't remember what why I wrote this down, but one of my notes is just good to know that Neelix also hates Tom Paris. I assume because like Neelix was talking about how he needs a new nurse, how, how the doctor needs a new nurse or something. No, like. I think it's because there, there's a scene where, where like Tom Paris is like leaving and like puts his hand on Kess's shoulder and said like, you know, I'm here if you need me or something like that. And Neelix gets really jealous that he thinks that Tom Paris is going to like steal Kess from him. But, but yeah, he says, he says something along the lines of just like, you know, how, you know, how much yeah, he how hates Tom Paris. Paris just like walks around and he just seems, he seems like he's, he's like one big hormone or something like that. Yeah, that's right. Says, um, which is, yeah. Anyway, so um, yeah, this is this is a uh, I guess partially most mostly a Neelix episode, and but uh, more you know some Janeway stuff as well, and some Doctor stuff certainly. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Why don't you uh, Why don't you take us in? Yeah. So so this episode starts out well. It starts with this kind of little uh, little opening where uh, Neelix has taken the what was previously he finds out the captain's private dining room and turned it into the kitchen um, where he's just making breakfast for, for the whole crew. Mm-hmm. And they kind of, I think they try to explain that like there's, you know, they, they don't have, this was kind of a, a plot point earlier in Voyager that I feel they became less and less of an issue as this show went into, you know, six or seven seasons, but that because they're sort of stranded out in the Delta quadrant, they have to ration their, uh, their energy and their like replicator fuel and that they have to, you know, kind of always be finding new sources of, uh, of fuel for the ship or of dilithium. Um, I think that that even comes up like later on. Like, I feel like I, we've, def- we've definitely watched other episodes where they're like, Oh, we, we figured out a way to like make the ship go more, you know, for a certain amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're always trying to like get home faster. But yeah, but he, you know, so that everyone doesn't have to have, you know, Jane may make some joke about that. Apparently the the replicated meals are, are sort of like the equivalent of um, of like MREs or like vacuum packed things where you, she gets. Yeah, field rations. Yeah. yeah. And so Neelix is is just using like actual food resources to like cook things. 
because he thinks the crew will like that better than just these these replicator rations. Mm-hmm. I, I did note here too that so you remember we watched um it, when we watched the Live Fast and Prosper episode and yeah. we found out that the shell game that Neil like the, 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 apparently there's something universal about the the idea of the shell game that that's something that transcends yes. uh, <laughs> that uh, that Neelix and Tom Paris both kind of immediately without ever having talked about it before like both knew what what they were doing and tried to get the doctor in on it right. Uh, and that is also apparently true. We find out in this episode of Chef's Hats that Felix <laughs> right. has a is wearing just a straight up Chef's hat at the beginning of this episode, and it's like you're from a different part of the galaxy, like like you've never even seen humans before. But it's not. It's like it's not just like that. He's wearing a hat and he's a chef. It's like he's wearing a. It's like it's 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 a hat that has like a kind of a, a tight kind of bottom, and that's got kind of a poofy mushroom cap kind of floppy top like he's yep. he's just wearing a chef's cap uh, chef's yeah hat. apparently there's some like uh, practical purpose for it that it's it, i mean maybe there is i don't it's know it's evolved over uh, over multiple different things independently yeah so anyway that that, that was <laughs> yeah it just made me laugh like like why, why does he why does he have this but um it's very it's very colorful too it's very festive looking which is yeah I, he's I, got I, a, he's got a great outfit in that in that scene, you know, we we've said we we we, we definitely are fans of Worf. I, we're also fans of Neelix. Neelix. Neelix definitely has a lot of haters uh, out there, I think. But we're we're Neelix uh, friends. Yes, we're friends of Neelix. Friends of Neelix. Yeah. So anyway, sorry. Go on. I said I said to note about the chef's hat. <laughs> That's true. I didn't even think of the like implications of that. But you're absolutely right. So, uh, so then. <laughs> That's right. I did make a note about it. So then they uh, they all get called to the bridge and they find out that there's this uh, ast- it's an asteroid, I think, or a rogue planetoid, I guess is what they say. But um, there's a place where they can their sensors are picking up a large amounts of dilithium, which is the the mineral that they use to fuel warp engines. I believe Neelix actually told them that this place existed. They could get some stuff from it. Okay. I think. Which is why that's why Neelix is down there. Okay, him. yeah, and so he he comes with them. I, I do also feel like they also threw a little like just a scene into this episode entirely for as like a response to Trekkies being like trying to head them off, being like, but um actually it's they have to have defi- refined dilithium, and how are they going to get that in the Delta Quadrant? So they they like talk a couple times about how like Torres has invented this machine that can turn dilithium ore into refined dilithium, which is what they need actually need for the warp engine. Um, mm-hmm. and it, you can very much just see them like, oh, the turkeys are going to be all over us in this one. We have to make sure we yeah. like head them off at the pass and be like, nope, actually, they, yeah. they get the, they get refined dilithium because Taurus. Yeah. I was thinking about that. You know, we mentioned in the last episode that we were both watching Discovery, and I was thinking about that how Discovery does that, but it does that for like problems that the show creates by its existence so like I, yeah. especially i was just thinking about this with um have you watched the episode yet of season two where basically they have like this weird explanation where it's like this is why oh, the enterprise doesn't later, have the enterprise doesn't have holograms yep. on it. and it's like well you could have just you just i think you probably just shouldn't have ever had the characters in the, the ships in discovery use holograms it seems like it probably would have been an easier choice <laughs> right. a better decision. yeah because they do they but, i think even in the episode we watched last time they have a, a holographic mirror where Burnham's just like instead of looking in a mirror, she's looking at a hologram of herself, and then she 
yeah. like Tilly walks into the room and she's like, computer, disable holographic mirror, which is, you know, these are all things that I'm sure they did because they were very proud of their visual effects ability to do it. But then you have to somehow explain how, you know, the next 200 years of Starfleet, no one ever uses holograms for anything. Yeah. And so you just kind of have to think, well, I guess it just didn't work very well because because like that's kind of what uh, Pike says is that like the, the holograms were glitching. Yeah. And was like messing on, up on the enterprise all sorts of so problems on the ship. So uninstall them. But but the, but yeah, it's then it's like, well, they all seem fine on the discovery all the time. Right. So why? Why did everyone end up adopting uh, that system? Because there's no holograms on, you know, Picard's Enterprise or, yeah, or on Voyager. Or or, like that, but, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, just let <laughs> me think of that. Like the, that's like there's a lot of I feel like there's a lot of that kind of stuff on that show where it's like c- solving problems that were created like without need by the yeah thing you could have just not written that to thing to happen problem. on the like, show yeah yeah whereas like this like that makes more sense it's like all right we got this is the premise of the show so we have to come up with like a thing to to like solve the refined delphium yeah complaint you know yeah that you can't just like anyway. mine rocks out of the ground and then throw them into the warp drive um, yeah. And so, so they beam down to the planet, um, and it's uh, Chakotay and Kim and then Neelix uh, all beam down to the planet. And they're going through this cave system and not finding any dilithium. And then Neelix sees, uh, comes up on this wall that has, he, it, it seems to him that like his tricorder is picking up a lot of things on the other side of the wall, but it's just this solid rock face. And then as he's kind of investigating it, uh, it turns out the wall is just a, a force field with kind of a projection of a wall. And that goes down and this shadowy figure points uh, a weapon at him and kind of fires this bolt of energy and he collapses to the ground. And then uh, Kim and Chakotay run up and find him and beam him to sickbay and they find out that his lungs have been completely removed from his body. Which I think that to me the biggest takeaway from this episode maybe was that they put this like thing on his head that can kind of like, I don't know, like process the, like, like basically like provide oxygen into his bloodstream or something temporarily. Yeah. It's basically, uh, I called it a handheld ECMO, which is a, so there is a, like an actual medical device that where you, that is much more like you literally like pump people's blood out of them. And then there's a big machine that exchanges oxygen and carbon dioxide in that blood. And then you pump it back into them. And so you can oh, use that okay. to like keep people alive that have don't have like have like terrible you know or have like such bad either respiratory failure or uh, heart failure that you essentially use this to like artificially like keep their do the job of their heart and lungs for them. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I, that's yeah. interesting. I mean, like I, I assume you had to have something like that temporarily, like if you're doing like a lung transplant or something. But yeah, how long can? Because I because I wrote down like the, oh they've invented a temporary cure for not having lungs. <laughs> right. There, is kind of like somewhere. we we kind of have. But yeah, you, how can how long can you live like that? Um. So actually, I mean, basically, kind of as long as that can keep going. Like it, it has a lot of complications and. Uh, you know, have, essentially there's, like, if you keep people on it for too long, they start to have all sorts of problems with their other organs and, like, those lines can clot off or that. But but it's it's definitely longer than the, like, 24 hours that they give them in in this episode. Um, like, it can be, like, a like three or four days a lot of the time. Um, even But even longer. So modern but, medicine is actually more effective yeah, than this I, thing? Yeah, I, I kind of thought about that, that they've invented a, a thing that's less effective than something that we've had for decades 
back now. Huh. Yeah. Also, we can do lung transplants now, which apparently they couldn't. Well, they said no. They said that they can't. They they couldn't because they he 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 has like weird lungs. Like they 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 say that. Yeah, they do. Yeah, it, that they. That, though, is another thing that I feel like they kind of change their story over the course of the episode because and it makes sense when they when they first describe why they can't just like replicate new Talaxian lungs for him is that basically his physiology, his lungs are so complex that they're kind of hardwired into his like his spine. And so the, like yeah. the interaction between his central nervous system and his lungs is too complex for them to be able to just sort of like hook up fake lungs to that. But what they, what the doctor ends up figuring out that they are able to do is they can make holographic lungs that then they're able to just use the computer to kind of make all the calculations and interact with his nervous system in a way that they can make those work Um, so that he can breathe using these holographic lungs. But the problem is that, he has to be sort of kept completely immobile so that the those lungs will stay in place because they can't, you know, since it's a hologram that's being projected, he can't move around it. Which which is interesting, you know, I, like you can replicate like clothes onto someone's body. I mean, I know like a lung has to be even more precise, but like, I, I don't know, the, holog- the, the, the holodeck never seems to have any problem uh, with making someone's lungs or maybe making some making someone's like stuff interact with their person yeah. in, in the exact way that you would need to every single time you know yeah but um yeah and and i, and I think they you know they kind of do the it is one of those things where for this episode to happen they had to have a reason that like neelix could be kept alive but also couldn't leave like couldn't move from this hospital bed and i feel like they did a, a pretty good job of kind of explaining why they can't use all of the various technology that we know Star Trek has already. Um, yeah. Or they couldn't just like transplant it from somebody else. So the scene where he, fi- where he finds out that there's any lungs is also probably my favorite scene in the episode because he very quickly kind of like processes the idea that he was just going to have to be strapped down to this hospital bed forever yeah. uh, for the rest of his life, or he might, he may need to. And then kind of, like in a, I think a, actually like a pretty good bit of acting by what is the name of the guy who plays Neelix? Um, it is Ethan Phillips. Oh yeah, Ethan Phillips. Yeah, yeah and, and he does this where you you kind of see him be like, "Ooh, okay," and then and then like to kind of like try to distract himself almost from from what has happened. He kind of like starts talking about how boring the ceiling looks and how and how like yeah he's like, like decorated or put a painting up there or something it was really funny like it was a good it was like a, a good a good bit um yeah a very neelix thing to do i think too yeah yeah and i think it was it's a very uh interesting again in, a, in an early episode where they're really still establishing his character i feel like it is a good it is a good neelix episode and kind of showing you know he's a very like he is just a very optimistic and kind of like making the best of everything type of guy. But he's also like very independent. And so he, he feels like he feels bad for him to have to rely on like somebody else. Yeah. Kind of the, the reason this bothers him the most is because of, you know, he he's, is kind of somebody that like is thinking of sort of the burden he would be on everybody else. And, and, and this is, I think still in the show when him and, you know, him and Kess are very, are very close and he cares a lot about her too. 
and doesn't want her to just have to like spend her whole life like sitting with him in sick bay. Yeah. I, I will say though that there's that the thing that I was kind of being bothered by uh, throughout this episode though is is um, they kind of have to talk they talk about how he can he can't move that he basically has to be inside of like a futuristic iron lung for the rest of his life yeah. right and but and so they they say multiple times that he he won't he 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 will not be able to move at all if he moves at all the lungs will be ruined and then like even uh, Tom Paris says at one point that like he. He only, there's only like two microns of of give, yeah. and then and the doctor says, "Well, it'd be better if it was one." And but then, what does that the the idea that he can't move seems to be overstated because like he can talk and he can like breathe. Yeah, even stuff, breathing, like, like yeah, his chest is. Which I guess that is sort of calculated for because that's the lungs themselves that are moving. But yeah, he is like he's definitely moving his head and breathing. So, but I guess. Maybe I assume that just, like, the rest of, like, he can't move below the neck other than breathing. I don't know. It's a little... Yeah, because obviously there's room for his chest to move. Yeah. Like, because he, he can breathe and talk. And so, I don't know, that was a... I was, I was kind of distracted by, like, what is... I think if they were just like, well, he has to be still, like, that would be one thing. But they're yeah, like, they, like, they, they can go like, out of their leave, way to be like, he can't, can't leave the bed. He can't move can't a micron. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, well, you, you have to move a micron to inhale. Like, right. that's, the, you know... But anyway, not not really ultimately important. But uh, um, yeah, so that that's kind of like the his arc over the thing is like, can I accept living like this? And then kind of talking to you know talking to the doctor about how you should have like a, a nurse and 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 the doctor is kind of having some frustrations. Um, and so kind of yeah, this kind of like uh, this little miniature like journey towards like the idea of adjusting. Yeah, of kind of him having to come to terms with the rest of his life being spent like this. It's also, it's also funny like cause a- after he complains, like the, n- the next scene you see, uh, they have, they've installed like, appears like kind of like a mobile, like, like yeah, a there's like some, some drapes mobile, and, like yeah. above. Yeah. Above his something head. for him to look at, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Yeah. And yeah, there's, um, when they, when they first, co- when the doctor first comes up with the plan to make a holographic lungs, it does, lead to uh this great scene that like they very much kind of telegraph it coming but it's no less great because of it because i think this is the scene where like leading up to that point they had repeatedly been really making like driving home the point of how useless tom paris is in sick bay and like the doctor like sends him to go get something and he just kind of stands there staring dumbly and he's like i don't know where that is um and then (laughs) The, the doctor comes up with this idea and Tom Paris is like, but a hologram is just made of light. There's no like matter there. And the doctor just like wordlessly slaps him across the face and then goes back yeah. to work. <laughs> well, he slaps across the face and then he's like, you slap me now. And then he tries to, and then it phases through his face and he's to, he, cause he's, he's using that to make a, a point about like how hard light projection works. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not, he's not, he's not just mad at him. Although like, I'm sure he is. <laughs> yeah, no, he, it's very much like to make the point about, uh, about holograms being able to, and how they interact with, with matter. But, but it was, it was still satisfying to watch. It's, I feel like. Yeah. Still a good, a, a great moment. Anytime you can see, uh, Tom Ferris get what he deserves. Yeah. And then, uh, so meanwhile, while, so there's, you know, they kind of keep going back to Neelix and the doctor 
and Kess primarily um, in sickbay, kind of dealing with with this issue and what it means for Neelix. Um, and they they do a good character thing, I think, with the Doctor too. They have a moment with with him and Kess together where he basically says, like, I was you know just meant to be this like emergency supplement where like if some catastrophe happened on the ship, you could turn on the emergency medical hologram for like extra help. And now I'm the only doctor I have to be like on and running 24 hours a day. Like I wasn't equipped for this degree of stress and then kind of Kess talks him through this and, and essentially helps him realize that like he can continue to learn and continue to get better. And it's, it's sort of an early, I think, start to the doctor really having, figuring out that he can have his own, identity not just as like a holographic program but kind of as you know sort of establishing his own like personhood or like individuality i guess Mm. and and then that also is kind of how he realizes that kess is a very like kind of compassionate and like useful person to have in sickbay then by the end of the episode sort of offers her a job to start as the the nurse on the ship and help him out in sickbay instead of Tom Paris. Mm-hmm. I said I really don't feel like I have a, a bead on Kess as a character yet. I, 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 st- I just don't know that this is probably the episode where you get, I've got, we've gotten the most of her, I would guess. I think, so I, yeah, I'm just not really I sure so, as to what, her, what she's all about. Yeah. I think the show really wasn't always either. Mm-hmm. Um, that, yeah, there's like there's definitely episodes sort of about her and about like Okap and stuff and 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 her and that and you know stuff with her and Neelix sometimes, but then there are a lot of times where they kind of don't quite know what to do with her and she is sort of the character that most frequently gets relegated to just sort of being in the background or not being in an episode at all. Yeah. But then so while this is all going on in Sickbay, the other thing that's happening on the ship is that Janeway and the, and the ship are trying to track down the uh, the aliens that took Neelix's lungs to try to get, because basically what the doctor says is kind of everything else is only a temporary fix, and the only chance is if we can get him his own lungs back, then we can put those back into him. And so they're, they're chasing this other ship, and they chase it into a asteroid, I think? Like, a, like an Empire Strikes Back-style asteroid with a cave yeah, inside of I said, it. That's, that's what I said to Kim, too. It's like, oh, there's going to be a space slug, space slug in there. Yeah. And instead, there is a space hall of mirrors, which just seemed like a very random thing to have in this episode. Like, it was an idea that someone came up with, and they just put into this episode that is just like a ran- kind of this random, like, Star Trek problem they have to solve that has nothing to do with what the whole episode is about. But yeah. But basically inside this asteroid, they're kind of all the walls of the asteroid are reflective. And so they just see hundreds of copies of Voyager and hundreds of this other ship that they're trying to track down. And they come up with the idea to fire a like very low power phaser beam that won't actually hurt anything, but will just like bounce light around in this beam so that then it would sort of pass through all of the things that are just reflections and then pinpoint where the actual ship is. Um, And so they do that and they find the actual ship and then they just abduct two people off of their own ship. (laughs) Like they, instead of like putting a tractor beam on the ship or like hailing them or anything, they're just like, Oh, there's two people on that ship. Just 
beam them aboard. Get them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so they just beam them into like the transporter room. And they find out that these are these are a race that are called the Vidians, which uh, are uh, a race that had been infected thousands of years ago with this very aggressive disease that they call the phage, which I made a note of that apparently the, the universal translator will just sometimes decide to translate things into Greek. Yeah. Cause, because because it's it's at least like it's a it's a medical term, but it's like based on a Greek word that means like for like eating because use it for like cells or, or viruses that they kind of eat things. But they they call this disease the phage. Yeah, Kim and I talk about that a lot that why why like on Klingon episodes, like why are there times where the where the Klingons are just speaking English and then other times when the Klingons will say Patak or whatever? Like Yeah, there's certain words know. that like there's no I think the most noticeable one is isn't there one where like there's a Kl- Worf tries to explain the Klingon word for deja vu? Right. Yeah. Well, actually, though, I will say on the flip side, though, in this episode, they actually did kind of a good job of that, where one of the guys, the guy who is like the main guy who who took the lung says about his friend who received the lung that like, this is my whatever he says, my blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. Um, and he's like, but the guy who helps me take organs from people. Right. And I was like, well, you know what? I understand. There, English does not have a word for that, I guess. Yeah, there's not a word in English for for the organ harvesting assistant man. Right. Because there's, you know, you have to use multiple words to describe that. So if he's just using one word, then I understand why they would they would not translate that one. But. <laughs> yeah. Um, because, yeah, because what essentially what these people do is because their own organs and tissues are always being like aggressively eaten by this disease, they have to keep scavenging things from other other beings that they encounter and take them and like graft them into their own bodies. So they, you know, are sort of always in a state of like transplanting whatever the next thing that's about to fail is. And so so their appearance is is like this very kind of lumpy, like they just their skin is made from just pieces of tissue all kind of progressively slapped on top of each other. And so they have these very kind of patchwork type faces and, and skin. And so they, uh, essentially what they say is that we've, you know, we've already taken Neelix's lungs and like put them into this guy. And so then Janeway has like, is looking at them and has to say like, you know, I like in order to save Neelix, I would have to, kill you and take his lungs back out of you. And like, I can't, you know, like you were apparently able to make that sort of like ethical decision, but I, I can't do that. I can't like kill someone else to save my own crew member. Okay. So so this is what I want to talk about. Like this is, this is, I think we can get some little Brady's medical corner in here (laughs) and just like, to me, this is almost kind of like the meat sort of yeah this, this scene, because do you think she's right? because like i would generally agree with the idea that like yeah you shouldn't like kill somebody to save somebody else but this is not really that because because like you're taking the original you're taking neelix's own lungs back to get yeah, neelix's lung like yeah. the, the, the lungs belong now obviously they end up with a solution that is better than either of those things because it allows both of those people to live but but like i don't know she framed it as this it was again one of those classic like Janeway speeches where it's, you're like, I kind of admire, I admire your commitment, but yeah, I... Yeah, because she's like very angry logic. and she's like, 
I don't like you and I don't agree with what you're doing, but like my own principles won't let me just straight up kill you and take your lungs. And, and this, yeah. So, and I was, so I was wondering like what you thought of that. I was wondering like, obviously you would never be in that situation as a doctor, but like, what would you think of that situation from like a medical standpoint, if you were a medical professional or how to do that kind of thing? Like it just, I don't know. It, it, it's, it just seemed like this thing where it's like, well, I think it's probably actually okay. If you <laughs> take his lungs back, if you want to, take his lungs back like it, it, it sucks for that guy and i'm not saying that like he shouldn't be pitied but you shouldn't steal people's lungs like that's not a <laughs> right. that's not a good way to live your life right I, I, and well and also it did i think what they didn't address is that you kind of go back to the question that you would have had originally of like well could they just replicate lungs for this guy then like if you can't replicate neelix lungs because neelix is too complex but like especially if you combine like because I think there's like sort of the assumption is that either these people don't have replicator technology or I think like replicator technology is entirely like something that Voyager has that really like no one else in the Delta Quadrant does is kind of what yeah. I feel like the, is a point they make sometimes. So but could you combine like because what ends up happening is that they say that like these people have such superior like because they've spent like as a race spent their lifetimes fighting this disease they have such superior medical technology to anyone else that they're able to figure out how to do a lung transplant into neelix from uh they transplant one of kess's lungs um which the other note i made here is that is this i can't remember when we find this out but is this before we've established on the show that okampans only live for nine years like <laughs> presumably yeah. her lungs would like age at the same rate um, yeah, that's a good point. But but yeah, and so they transplant one of her lungs into Neelix and everyone's happy because they they have kind of the medical technology that gives them the ability to do this that we didn't have. Um, but if you combine like their medical technology with like replicator technology, could they just replicate organs for themselves instead yeah, of having I, to I steal them? The, I think, though, that you're missing maybe even like a weirder, dumber solution to this, which is that why don't they just give Neelix back one of the lungs? <laughs> Yeah, those are those are those lungs are already compatible with Neelix because they used to be in him. Like just if like if you're really trying to like split the baby, I guess like just like, literally like, split it. Mm. Well, we, yeah, because like that's what happens anyway. Is they just give is that she gives him one of her lungs? So it's like, well, why doesn't it, you know what I mean like because you know yeah. I mean you know you're you're you, I I think I'm you can tell me if I'm off base but like you know there's always the risk of like a rejection it, you know like the clan the, the closer it is to like the thing that was there before yeah. like the less likely it's going to get rejected yes by and the like body. if it's so his like, own tissue then yes there's it's not going to reject it right and, and so like just, yeah and I feel like maybe they should have put in a line about like oh well like because his lungs have been in this other person now they've been like infected with the disease and so that's why you can't yeah. like i feel like they if they had put a line like could have closed that plot hole with just like a single line of just like oh well now they're you know now the phage yeah, is in, they, in, they, in, they, in they those too. All, though. yeah yeah there's just so i'm just like the whole time i'm like there is already a, yeah. a line <laughs> just in this room that you could give him that would work the best but anyway it I, I, I liked this episode fine. It was it was not like bad or anything. It was it was I don't know. I, I enjoyed the, like they made him hologram lungs and stuff. It's very like it's definitely very like early. It feels very like kind of like embryonic Voyager to me. Yeah, you know? I agree. Still kind, kind of, of like still feeling like it out, but establishing what they are. Yeah. 
a very like premise based rather than like character based thing, which is fine. You know, nothing yeah. wrong with that. It's, I mean, I think they did. Oh, yeah, they this... did good character things. I feel, especially like you said with Neelix and and I think with the Doctor too. Um, mm-hmm. There was also a really nice character scene, like just little interaction between Janeway and Tuvok, where I think it's when the I forget exactly when it is, but I think it's when the ship they're chasing flies into the asteroid and. Janeway kind of like looks at Tuvok and Tuvok looks back at her and she's her, I forget if Tuvok says something, but Janeway like looks at him and he, and she's like, you don't know what I'm thinking. And Tuvok's like, yes, I do. You're thinking of flying into that asteroid. And Janeway says something along the lines of like, one of these days you're going to be wrong about me and I'm going to surprise you. Yeah. And then she's like, but it's not today. And then they fly into the asteroid. But I thought that was a nice little moment of like establishing kind of the close relationship and like how far back. Janeway and Tuvok go. Yeah, Kim Kim liked that moment. She was kind of like, oh, so they, she, because uh, she doesn't, uh, you know, know very much about their relationship. So she's like, oh, like they must know each other from like a long time. Or like, you know, like, like how do they, she was like asking how they knew each other. Yeah. You know, it, it, she responded to that. But um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I, I, I really like their friendship. Like that's something that I've kind of been getting out of doing these, these shows is that like they have a kind of this nice little rapport that is, it kind of, it, it kind of reminds me of the rapport that Dax and, uh, and, uh, oh, and Cisco, Cisco have. Yeah. Uh, but I think a little bit, a little bit like less muddled because like it is the two people who originally were friends and, as opposed to like two old people who were friends and now like one of them is a young woman. Like, yeah. It's, it's one of them doesn't call friends. the other one old man all the time. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, anyway. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was, it was like, it was, you know, it was good. It was. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is very definitely a, as Voyager tends to do like a, an episode about a thing, but also, you know, it kind of covers some ground and, and, you know, introduces these, you know, kind of an interesting concept with these characters, this race that's like constantly replacing themselves in that. Mm-hmm. And they are, a, they are actually a, a recurring, like usually villain in the, in the early go of the show, actually. Oh, okay, cool. Well, I'll look for Yeah. Him. Um, cause yeah, cause that's another thing in a very like sort of no nonsense, angry Janeway moment. She basically tells them that like, if we ever encounter you again, we intend to treat you like enemies or like consider you to be hostile. Um, right. Like that she says, like, I'm not going to like yeah. murder the two of you right now, but, um, ex- you know, if you ever like try to mess with us again, we will defend ourselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, on that note, we'll probably see, what are they called again? What are those guys called again? Uh, the Vidians, I think. Yeah. All right. Well, well, on that note, well, I'm sure we'll see the Vidians again at some point. Uh, not next time, though, because next time it is our 50th episode. Wow. A big milestone for us. And so we kind of, way back when we started the show, we kind of were like, all right, well, we're, we're going to watch every 50 episodes. We're going to watch one of the movies, yep. uh, one of the Star Trek movies. And so we, we also put that in a random number generator. And um, for our first movie we're watching, we're watching what some people consider to be the best uh, Star Trek movie. I don't think it's probably either of our personal favorites, but it's a good one, certainly. It's, it's, it's a good one, for sure. A classic. Yeah. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. So uh, get that one watched and uh, come back in two weeks. We'll probably have, a. am guessing, probably a slightly longer episode about that one. Yeah. There's going to be more, more stuff to discuss, but it'll be our big 50th one. I mean, maybe we'll do some other kind of fun stuff. I kind of, I think we, we talked maybe about, like, like each giving like our top three or our top five uh, favorite episodes we've seen so far, perhaps, or, or something like that. Yeah, we'll do something fun to mark the 50th. Some so. festivities. 
But uh, yeah, so anyway, that's that's kind of crazy, but it's that's that's cool. So, uh, but yeah, thank you everybody for listening to this episode. Um, it, we're back in two weeks. In the meantime, you can check out our sister shows on the Kaleidoscope Media Network. We've got uh, Here's Johnny, which is a horror uh, podcast, a horror media podcast. We've got That's Not How Science Works, uh, which is a science and pop culture podcast, and there's also. Uh, Wizard Studies, which is a Harry Potter uh, topics podcast. I shouldn't know when I say that we've got. That's not. Yes. We don't. We, we, are we don't not, got them. They're just. Yeah. There is them. They are. They are there. Like there are other shows on the on the network run by other people. Yes. Who are good people who are doing good uh, good shows. So. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, you, know, you can check those out. So in the meantime, for us, you can uh, visit us. You can visit us on Twitter at. You can follow us on Twitter at contracts. You can email us at out of contracts at gmail.com or you can visit our website at outofcontracts.podbean.com uh, contracts is spelled c-o-n-t-r-e-k-s and uh, yeah thank you everybody for listening uh, see you next time thanks everybody bye